Welcome to 15 Minute Freelancer, your snack-sized guide to being your own boss and building a business and life you love. I'm your host, Louise Shanahan. My LinkedIn bio says I'm a freelance health copywriter, but for the next 15 minutes, I'll be tickling your ears with practical strategies, behind-the-scenes stories and nuggets of wisdom so you can create a freelance business that works for you. Whether you're just starting out or you've been self-employed for a while, I'll be right here with you to help you navigate the ups and downs of freelancing life. So grab a coffee, relax, and join me for 15 minutes of freelancing fun. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Hello and welcome to the 15 Minute Freelancer podcast. This is Louise Shanahan speaking, and today I'm excited to welcome a very special guest, Dave Harland. Hi, Dave. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Louise. I'm just as excited to be here. Nice one for having me. Oh, good. So for those of you who don't know, Dave is a freelance copywriter. You may know him as the word man, and you may have seen him stirring up trouble on LinkedIn, trolling the likes of Simon Sinek and sharing his Uncle Tony's unique approach to business. And that's really what we're going to be talking about today. So Dave, I posted recently that I wanted to chat to freelancers who use interesting or unusual marketing strategies to attract clients. And your name came up several times (laughs) as someone who seems to have a distinct style when it comes to lead generation, particularly in how you use humor on LinkedIn, which is traditionally a bit of a conservative platform. So we've got some listener questions about that and we'll get through as many as we can. We might need to skip the 372 questions about barm cakes, which for some reason people are obsessed with. (laughs) (laughs) But if you don't mind, we might go a little bit over the 15 minutes on this one. So let's dive in with a very serious question. Please tell us, how have you leveraged LinkedIn as a business growth solution? (laughs) Um, I suppose it's basically by taking the piss out of words like that and phrases like that that crop up all the time on LinkedIn because I, I do the complete opposite of that I always have done so my overall marketing strategy I suppose is to write stuff that just makes people smile makes people laugh and is the the kind of antithesis of all of the kind of stuffy corporate um, lingo that you see on LinkedIn and by doing that by making people smile um, it's not only you know, something that I enjoy doing, but it also attracts the types of business owners and the brands who want to do that type of fun stuff. So they see me as kind of one of the go-to people who can provide that that type of fun copy, fun content, um, or to help them, you know, sh- show them how to write the stuff that kind of portrays them in a, in a less stuffy way. Can you tell us a bit about how you're actually doing that? How are you using that kind of humor and parody to differentiate yourself and stand out on LinkedIn? Yeah, there's, I mean, in terms of the tactics, there's, there's a whole range, really. It's one of the ones you just said then it is, is parody. So it's, it's kind of making light of the most typical ways that some of the so-called influencers act on there. So they take themselves really seriously. The content they put out there is something that, that I suppose they think is inspirational and, you know, enlightening, but in actual fact, they're all quite vacuous truisms, really. There's nothing really groundbreaking in there. So, I will parody those and just take it to the extreme to show that, you know, I'm, I'm taking a, a kind of a sarcastic approach to that. So that's one way parody. Um, the whole range, really. So storytelling, jokes, just being sarcastic and silly and a little bit a little bit humorous as often as I can, I suppose. In terms of the content that I'll, I'll do, it's jokes, it's stories, which are some which are based on, um, you know, events that have happened. Others, I'll try and find a kind of, you know, thinly veiled 
market message at the end and maybe make up a little bit in the middle to dramatize it. But yeah, there's a, there's a whole range of, of stuff that I'll try. Where does Uncle Tony fit into this? So he was, um, I suppose, it's, yeah, it's back to what I was saying about the, the so-called LinkedIn influencers or celebrities on there who were just posting these vacuous truisms. It was a couple of years ago, one of the, the, the people on there, Oleg Vishnopolsky, he just puts just, you know, stuff like, um, you know, leadership quotes and why, why kindness is the way to go. But it was all, you know, over the course of, say, a month, he'd post, say, 30 times. And 25 of those would just be the same post in a slightly different way. So I thought, hang on, this isn't, you know. And he was getting like 25,000 likes or something stupid. The engagement was just through the roof. So I thought, how, how about I, I kind of reply in a way that kind of just takes the mic a little bit. So yeah, just just um, started talking about my Uncle Tony and why I disagreed with what whatever this and a vacuous platitude that, that was being put out there, telling a story about my Uncle Tony and why, based on this tale from his weird and wonderful life, why this could not possibly be true. Do you ever worry about being too controversial? Do you ever feel bad that people might be getting so worked up about Uncle Tony's tall tales? <laughs> not, not really, no. I think, I think for those, the, the, the kind of the LinkedIn celebrities and the, the you know, the, the the wannabe influencers, you can, see, you can see straight away they're not replying to the posts themselves. So it's, it's clear that they're being outsourced to a content team or content agency who think that this is the way to be done. So I suppose, it, in fact, what I'm doing is not necessarily poking fun at the people themselves. It's, it's more poking fun at the act of outsourcing your stuff to, to these agencies who don't really get you and, and you're in danger of just by giving um, or shifting responsibility to an agency and allowing them to post on your behalf, you, you, you might actually end up damaging your reputation. I know certainly the Simon Sinek posts that come out on their own, that they are vacuous platitudes. They're just A lot of them are just meaningless. They're truisms. They're really obviously true What in what he's saying. Stuff like the best leaders care about their teams. It's like, you know, who's that benefiting? Is that benefiting anybody at all? Somebody going to read that and go, oh, yeah, I'll be a, I'll, I'll care about my team. It'll make me a better leader. If anything, it's making him sound like he's waffling on. Um, and when you listen to him in particular talk on videos and stuff, quite articulate. He, he talks in quite simple terms. So there's a, a, there's a disparity, I think, between how he is in, in person and all of this stuff that's getting churned out on the daily, which... I'm presuming is, is is like a content agency, so I, I never really feel too bad that I'm being controversial. It's always quite jovial. It's never close to the bone. It's never too critical of them uh, as individuals. It, it's it's always done quite indirectly, I think. And I like to do that with most of the stuff that I, I do on there. It's 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 rarely a kind of a direct harsh criticism at anyone. It's done in a, in a quite indirect way, purely just to have a bit of a laugh and. and, and have a bit of fun and make, make people smile rather than trying to really kind of rile people, which, you know, there's, there's other people on the platform who do that really well. Yeah, and I guess the fact that you're kind of poking fun at their lack of authenticity and some of the stuff that's being put out in their name, that's kind of the point, isn't it? Because for freelancers in particular, we want to connect with people who see the world in the same way as us, who are going to enjoy working with, 
it's true that people buy from people, isn't it? So for someone like you or like me or freelancers that are listening to this, it is really important that we are ourselves and that we are authentic in what we're putting out. I mean, authentic is kind of one of these words that you probably would take the piss out of, isn't it? But yeah, I wonder if you could say a little bit about that. Certainly for freelancers, because yeah, like you say, about that word authenticity, I mean, it's a bit of a buzzword, but it does it does carry kind of some meaning. It's when you're writing stuff, whether it's on your socials or it's, how you even how you are in you know in person networking, if you are your true self and you just you know you're not using buzzwords to, to make yourself sound more professional, you're not lying about your job history, you're just being genuinely upfront and speaking in your own authentic voice. I think yeah, it's going to sell yourself better than, than than any kind of falseness or any any front that you can quite easily pull on on social media. So for freelancers, it's it's a you know it's a massive it's a massive thing being authentic and knowing knowing what your voice is and there's you know the sad thing is there's quite few people out there who who, who kind of know what their voice is they they are trying to put on a front I can imagine Simon signing it when you meet him he's a million miles away from those pointless inspirational posts I bet he's got quite a lot to say same with same with most of them yet they think oh this is the way to go this is this is going to get me you know get me traction this is going to make me appear to be more of a kind of thought leader than I really am and that's your fact it's, it's probably going against them. Yeah. So now that you're a little bit of a LinkedIn celebrity yourself, <laughs> isn't it a bit of a full-time job? How do you ha- handle gazillions of comments on your posts? Yeah, uh, funny you should say it. it's 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 tough. It's tough to keep up with them, um, and it, it could easily be a full-time job. I can see why the, the, these influencers with five million followers. I can see why they outsource because they just couldn't do it on their own. You know, I'm quite modest in, in comparison to them. I think I've got like 30,000 followers on LinkedIn compared to their their millions. So it's a little bit easier to handle. But yeah, I mean, it, it it's still, still a lot does. of people. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, when I put a post out, then it'll get 100 comments. I, I try and like and comment to say, you know, 20, 30% of them. I can't, I can't do it all. Otherwise, I'd be there all day. But I, ju- I suppose I'll just try and pick the ones who, I suppose, make me laugh. Or you can see that they've got their own opinion about something I've written. Some people, you know, now and again, or quite often disagree with what I've done and do perhaps think that I'm being a little bit harsh in what I'll post um, and miss the point that I'm, you know, just taking the piss really. So they're the type of ones that I will comment upon. But yeah, I suppose in terms of like the split of my week, I'll I'll spend maybe one day a week, I suppose, in total on on, on LinkedIn and Twitter posting stuff. And that, that's not just kind of one day. I wouldn't spend the entire Monday just prepping stuff that's just dipping in and out throughout the week. I do a newsletter, so that's probably half a day of my week. And then the other three and a half days is, yeah, running a business, admin, writing, all of that type of stuff. So it's certainly a decent chunk, but I try and not let it get too much. You know, I'm not one of these who sits on there all day, you know, when I should be doing client work. I'll just jump on, post something later on in the afternoon. I'll reply to some comments and do it like that. What is your content creation process like? Does it tend to be off the cuff or are you a bit more strategic about it? No, it's it's more off the cuff, I suppose. Although, although I was saying that, I, I suppose that the approaches and back to the tactics, the different types, the jokes, the, the stories, I've got more strategic in terms of the um, varying, the types of stuff that I'll do. But in, in terms of the, the kind of su- the topic and the subject of what I'm writing about, yeah, that's just off the cuff. So... I, most of the most of my initial ideas just go on my phone notes, and that's I could be typing them out, or I'll do little, you know, voice notes like Alan Partridge. And I've normally got say between twenty and thirty little ideas at any one time, and it could be anything from 
something funny that someone said to me or something bizarre that I've overheard on a train or something all the way to something that someone's posted that I can do a parody of anything I'm reading, watching any, anything really ideas come from anywhere and everywhere. And I always try and think what's the takeaway there? How can I apply that to kind of copywriting marketing? How can I give that some kind of lesson? Because it's made me sit up and, and notice it. It's pricked my ears up and I'm, I'm sure that there'll be a way for me to kind of put that into a different context for people and, and you know, sprinkle a little bit of silliness in there along the way. Have you found, I'm, I'm kind of guessing what the answer is here, but have you found that putting yourself out in that way has attracted the kind of clients that you really enjoy working with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it didn't all happen at, at once and at the start, you know, I've been freelancing full time now for like six years. So at the start, I was, you know, I wasn't really saying no to much. I was taking on as much as I could. And most of that was, you, you know, you're running a mill, B2B stuff, fairly safe, generic tone of voice, nothing too out there, I suppose, focusing more on clarity than than personality, really. But over the years, as I've kind of become known for that style, uh, certainly on the socials, yeah, it, it's attracting the types of brands that want to do that fun stuff. So I'm getting more and more people saying, oh, yeah, you know, read your email all the way to the end or didn't stop laughing at that post you put on LinkedIn. We're really stuffy or we're coming across really dry. Can you sprinkle some of that into, into our stuff? So it's definitely helped me kind of carve out my own kind of position as the, the, the go-to person for the funny stuff. You know, six years in, it's kind of nicely coming to coming to fruition. So we had a question from Heidi. She asked, how has your marketing changed in the past few years? Do you feel you're at the point where you have enough of a brand that you no longer need to work so hard on putting yourself out there? Or is that an impossible goal? And then related to that, Andy asked, you're pretty well known online. Do you still need to do cold outreach? I've never done cold outreach, to be honest. I mean, I've done, I do the posting on, on LinkedIn and Twitter and I'll, I'll do my own, my own email, but never really approached businesses themselves and, and asked them, you know, if they, if they need my services, just something I've never really had to do. I've been quite lucky since I started off. There's always been another client, you know, knocking on the door, asking me to, to write for them. So, I mean, it's not to say I'd, ne- I'd, I'd never consider it. If, you know, I posted something next week, which alienated me from the entire kind of business community. And I had to go back to that kind of knocking on doors and that cold approach, you know, that's the way I'd go. And certainly when junior copywriters approach me and say, oh, you know, how, how can I, you know, attract clients like you do? I can see people asking, posting, saying, oh, can you come and work for us? And I'm like, look, it's no... No quick win here. I've I've slogged away at this for six years. If there was a silver bullet, you know, everybody'd be onto it, but there's not, sadly. So I'll I'll say to them, look, your best bet is to do some cold outreach. When a a business sends you a a crappy email, rip it to shreds, rewrite it, get in touch with them and say, look, what you've sent me is rubbish. Here's how I'd do it 10 times better. There's your little in. And I, I, I mean, I do that anyway, just as a one of my tactics on LinkedIn, which is to you know, rip to shreds, some, something that's been sent to me, like a cold email or something. Do that as a way of bringing clients in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was about finding a way to stand out and catch people's attention. Kind of related to that, Paige asked, how do you sell your silly style to stuffy stakeholders? But it sounds a bit like you don't really have to do that. Now, <laughs> That's kind of what people are coming to you for. Are there ever any situations where you're having to kind of convince a client or a potential client of your way of working, of your approach? 
Yeah, the, the few and far, I, I used to have to, but the, the few and far between now, they're, they're already kind of bought into it. Or certainly the people who get in touch with me are bought into it. Now and again, there'll be, you know, some some CEO. So I, maybe the marketing director will get in touch with me and say, oh, you know, I like your stuff, love your approach. Can you do this for us? And I go, yeah, sound. And then midway through the project, the CEO gets his greasy little paws on whatever I've written and thinks, ah, oh, this is completely unprofessional. You know, this is the wrong way to go about it. So occasionally I'll have to kind of fight the case and, you know, justify why this style works and justify why the, if the marketing director got in touch with me, they, they obviously there's something going wrong and they've identified that, you know, a more down-to-earth approach might be needed. So then I'll have to then speak to the CEO and say, look, here's some evidence of, of how this has worked in the past. So I'll show them case studies of some of the stuff that I've done, which is, you know, increased sales or, you know, help to brand awareness for, for some of my own clients and just more kind of generic stuff about why uh, why reader-led comms are more impactful than than writer-led comms. So rather than them saying, we're delighted to announce our latest product, it's spinning it more back on the reader. And so just giving them some little kind of examples. I'll always have examples to give them, which hopefully make, make the penny drop. But yeah, those, the kind of persuading that I have to do to those those type of people who don't really get it, I don't really have to do much of that anymore. I, I kind of filter all of them out. You know, they don't connect with me or if they're already connected with me and they see me, you know, taking the piss out of an influencer and they think, I don't want to be consuming that. That's not where we want to go. It's like, it saved us both a lot of time. Along those similar lines, Andre asks, a client shifts the goalposts on a project. What would Uncle Tony do in that situation? Oh, Tony. Wow. He'd probably find a way to shift the foundations of the building that they're in because he takes he takes no prisoners, does Uncle Tony. <laughs> um, I mean, if it happened with me, I'd just say, you know, even though most of the stuff I'll do is silly, I'm still really professional at the end of the day. So I'll say to them, look, I can do that, yeah, sure, but it'll cost a bit more. There's a bit of scope creep there, so, but I'll, I'll try and do it. Still try and do it in a, you know, a nice and friendly way. I'm not one of these who go, you know, the requirements have therefore changed and, and thus it's just like, let's just do it in a nice, I'll normally do it over the phone. I won't, won't do it over email, so it's, it's easier to kind of get those conversations going. I like that. I think you want the client to be happy with the end result, don't you? And you want the work to be done well. So perhaps there's a good reason why they've decided to shift the goalposts. And it's just a case of figuring out how you can make that happen in a way that works for both of you, isn't it? Yeah, sure. And, it, it, you know, when they do shift the goalposts, it's only really when they do it. If it's adding like half a day onto my work, I'll address it. But if it's like an extra hour or two, you just suck it up. You, you're going to absorb. You just absorb it, and you know you'll you'll find the, the, the money will come back to you in in other ways. So try and not kind of get too bogged down in it, because I think there's certainly when you you start saying, "Oh, that's taking me," you know, an extra extra half a day, or when you're going into the nitty gritty of what's involved in a project, you can end up backing yourself into a corner, and they're saying, "Hang on a sec, how much is so? What's your hourly rate? How much do you do that?" And then you're like, "Oh shit, shouldn't have said anything." So um, yeah, if, if it's only a little bit of scope creep, just absorb it. That's what that's what I try and do. I don't think the key there is that if you're charging enough to begin with, then you can absorb these little extra bits without too much of a headache. I think if you've kind of gone under the rate that you would prefer to be charging, then that's when you start to feel a bit disheartened when you've got extra work coming in. You don't want to absorb it. Exactly. There's nothing worse than resenting the job that you're working on because you've undercharged it or you're undervaluing yourself. Don't feel don't feel scared of just I, I I made a joke on Twitter, but now and again I'll do it for certain clients. Just just add a zero to to one in every twenty quotes that you give out, just to see, just to see if the client goes for it. You know, if it's a big massive PLC, just add a zero to it. 
nine, again, nine, 19 times out of 20, they'll come back and go, cheeky bastard, I'm not paying that, but there'll, there'll be one who'll just say, yeah, go on, yeah, yeah, we'll go for that. And if you can back it up, if, you, if, you know, if you're skilled and you've got, you've got the kind of expertise and you can put your money where your mouth is, all credit to you. Oh, I love it. I love the experimentation and being bold. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, Dave. That feels like a good place to wrap up. And thank you to everybody who sent in questions. And I'm sorry that we didn't get to all the barm cake questions, but maybe Dave will answer them if he gets a chance on his LinkedIn day. So one thing that we haven't mentioned is your newsletter. Well, you mentioned it briefly, and I would definitely recommend that people sign up for your newsletter, which is just as hilarious as we might expect. But one thing that I really like about it is it's all also jam-packed with ideas and suggestions for how people can make their own copy a bit less stuffy and sound more like themselves, that word again, authentic, <laughs> and use storytelling and humor to connect with their customers. So I really like that you break down a lot of your LinkedIn posts there so people can actually see what your thought process is when you're creating them and see those copywriting tricks in action. So all that to say, let's give it a plug. Where can people sign up for it? Yeah, so you can get my newsletter on my website, which is thewordman.co.uk. Um, so if you go there, there's a big subscribe button. And then, yeah, you'll hear from me every Friday, probably. I'll put a probably in there because a good Friday struck up on me last week. And I was like, ah, I had to do stuff with the baby. And it was like, no way, I'm getting a newsletter out today. Sorry. So 99% of Fridays, you'll get one. Brilliant. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And of course, people can come and find you on LinkedIn and enjoy the antics for themselves. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. LinkedIn and Twitter, Twitter as well. Um, I suppose I'd go a little, one step further on Twitter because Twitter's mainly my creative mates, other designers and, and copywriters and stuff. So where I'm, you know, explaining stuff and keeping things relatively PG on LinkedIn so that business owners kind of understand the, the benefits of copy you know, everyone's in on the joke on Twitter. So get me on there if not already. So I'm at Webman Copy on Twitter. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Dave. This has been a really fun conversation. And thank you to everyone who's listening to this. If you've enjoyed it, please do leave a review and subscribe. And if you leave a tip on the coffee page, that's ko-fi.com forward slash 15 minute freelancer, I will be sure to make sure that Dave gets his cut too. Although I'm not quite sure how I'll do that. Maybe I can post your tea bag or something. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Until next time, happy freelancing. You've been listening to 15 Minute Freelancer with me, Louise Shanahan, freelance health copywriter and content marketer at thecopyprescription.com. If you enjoyed this, please hit subscribe, leave a review or share it with a freelance friend. And if you've got a freelancing question you want answered on the podcast, find me and say hi on Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram. Thanks and until next time, happy freelancing!